This is the third and last component of the who you are group of components in my trustworthiness model, symmetry. This component is situational. In this episode, I will talk about being on the same side with a vision, a mission, a common enemy, and the opposite of it. I'll talk about symmetry of contributing versus getting. I'll talk about reciprocity and fairness. I will talk about each one of them and how they affect trust. And finally, I will briefly discuss symmetry in partnership relationships. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of The Trust Show. I'm your host, Yoram Solomon, a researcher of trust and the author of The Book of Trust. In this educational podcast, I will challenge you to think differently about trust through the eight laws of trust and the six components of trustworthiness. But I will not only teach you about trust, I will also give you actionable advice on how to build trust, be trusted, and know who to trust. Because the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? There are six components in the trustworthiness model. Three of them are the who you are, and three of them are what you do. The first component of who you are, which I covered in episode one of this second season, was competence. Competence was a professional, rational, technical, and objective component. The second component, which I covered in episodes two and three, was personality compatibility. That component is the emotional, the personal, subjective, and sometimes irrational component. And finally, in this episode, I'll talk about the third component, symmetry. It is a situational, relative, circumstantial component. What matters here is the perspective. It's not exactly who you are. Maybe it's more kind of a where you are, where you are and the other person is. I will break the symmetry component down to three subcomponents. Being on the same side, symmetry and reciprocity, and fairness. I'll start with being on the same side. Really, the question that I'm asking here is, are we on the same side of an issue, of whatever issue that uh, where we need to build that relationship that includes trust? So I'm going to start with, with the positive, and the positive will start with a shared vision. Do we have a shared vision? Do we have the same why? Are we doing things for the same reasons, the same motivations? If we know that we're doing things for the same motivations, if we share the vision of what the future is going to be like, then we are on the same side. Another part of it is the mission or the mission statement. And if shared vision was the why, then the mission statement is the what and the how. 
And it has to be a mission statement that that is galvanizing. So the way we're going to do that is just knowing that we're going to do it in in a certain way is galvanizing. It's it's going to be energizing. When you hear that mission statement, you're going to be energized. And it has to be meaningful. And I wrote an article about that uh, some time ago for Inc. Magazine uh, about a mission statement. And a mission statement, how do you write a mission statement that's meaningful and not a mission statement that's meaningless? And again, if your mission statement is meaningless, then it doesn't serve the role of we are on the same side of it. And one example is I started looking at mission statements of different organizations and companies, uh, for-profit, non-profit, everything. And what I found is that everybody, almost everybody writes things like, we're going to be the best in X. We're going to be the leaders in X. Well, that's kind of given. And oh, by the way, we're going to give the best customer service. That That's kind of a given. And so I, I kind of developed a uh, litmus test for how do you know if you have a mission statement that's meaningful, that can be galvanizing and energizing and provide symmetry and therefore provide trust within the team because we're all on the same page and we have the same mission versus a mission statement that is meaningless. And and the test goes like this. Try and say the opposite. Does the opposite sound stupid? If the opposite sounds stupid, then the original is meaningless. So we're going to be the best in customer service. What is the opposite? We're going to be the worst in customer service. Well, that's kind of stupid to make this your mission statement. And if it is stupid, then the original is meaningless because obviously you want to be the best in that, in, in, in customer service or customer experience or whatever it is that you decide that you want to be best at. But if you're not specific enough, if, if you're not creating something that's exciting enough that will galvanize, get the team together and, and have them trust each other simply because we have this positive mission of how we're going to do and what we're going to do. So, for example, uh, there was an organization I worked with and they came up with a mission statement of providing the best uh, uh, contract manufacturing and as we started discussing it, what we realized is that the market for contract manufacturing in electronics specifically was kind of divided uh, to a two by two, uh, four quadrants uh, based on the quality and based on the volume. So whenever you were okay with low volume, uh, you would typically manufacture offshore, whether it's in China, Taiwan, Mexico, any other place where labor is cheap and quality not that great. But so as long as the quality was not a key issue, even if you wanted small volume, you could manufacture offshore. If you wanted high quality, the thing is that the landscape, first of all, for the most part, it was either here in the US or in Europe or, or a few other places. It would be high quality, but uh, they would typically, because of the setup associated with uh, electronic manufacturing, it would have to be high volume. So the problem is that those tier one manufacturers, that, that's how we refer to them, they were they required high volume and for other companies they would just not serve them and what we found was that that organization that that i was trying to help come up with a mission statement a mission statement that would be clear enough galvanizing energizing for the employees 
we ended up coming up or realizing that we are in the one quadrant that's kind of an orphan. Nobody wants to be there. We can produce high quality, but we can do that in low volume. You don't have to make high volume commitment to work with us or for us to manufacture your products. And so we came up with a mission statement that was, we're going to manufacture tier one quality to those that tier one manufacturers don't want to serve. See, that was very specific. You try and say the opposite. The opposite is not going to be stupid. The opposite could be valid as well. So that was a meaningful mission statement. So a meaningful mission statement is a positive, galvanizing, energizing component that builds trust within the team because we're striving for the same goal, the same mission. I'm going to make this statement a few times in in this uh, podcast in general, and that's bad is much stronger than good. And I'll talk about research that led me to make this statement, but in general, bad is much stronger than good. So in this context of being on the same side, I talked about being on the same side with a mission statement or a vision that we share, something that's positive. Let's talk about the negative. An even more powerful symmetry subcomponent is having a common enemy. Now, if you serve in the military, the term common enemy is very, very clear. It has a very clear meaning. The enemy are those people who are shooting at you, and they are our common enemy. And this is one of the reasons why there is a high level of trust in military units, because we're being shot by the same enemy. But enemy doesn't have to be in the military. Uh, We went through a, uh, we're actually still going at this time, through a pandemic, a global pandemic. That little, little COVID virus is a common enemy. We are on the same side, opposite from that common enemy. Now, the common enemy doesn't have to necessarily be a something, you know, something that's trying to kill you. It can be a mean boss. You and I are members of the team and our boss is really mean. And uh, the fact that we can talk about that, the fact that we share this negative experience is something that builds trust uh, because we're on the same side. It can be, you know, there was a 1989 article that uh, Gary Hamill and uh, Prakalad wrote uh, called uh, strategic, uh, strategic Intent. And in that article, they talked about the uh, how you come up with a mission statement. It's kind of like what I said before about the mission statement that's galvanizing and energizing. But they gave several examples. Uh, they used Komatsu, uh, a uh, big uh, earth-moving equipment manufacturer, uh, Japanese. And their bigger comp- biggest competitor was uh, Caterpillar. And they came up with a two-word mission statement, and that was to encircle Caterpillar or crush our competition. So the thing that was galvanizing them, the thing that was uh, energizing them and, and having them trust each other is the fact that their common enemy was Caterpillar. They also gave Canon as an example, with Canon having a mission statement at the time of Beat Xerox. So once again, the thing that makes us feel that we're on the same side is not something that's on our side. It's the thing that's on the other side. It's that common enemy. This common enemy can be a budget. 
It can be the economy. It can be a tight schedule. The fact that we have this tight schedule and tight budget and we have to live within it, that puts that tight budget on the other side as a bad thing and puts both of us on the same side of we're trying to fight that uh, that uh, that enemy, that common enemy. The, the first business book that I ever read uh, was called uh, Built to Last. And uh, Built to Last has this, this term that's called BHAG, B-H-A-G. BHAG stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. And so it's kind of hard for me to say if that's a positive or a negative because uh, it really depends on what that goal is. But the fact that that goal is right outside of our reach as we see it now makes it a BHAG and that is a galvanizing and energizing component that helps build trust because again, that, uh, that, that BHAG is on the other side and you and I, are on the same side. So I talked about a common enemy or, or a common goal or a vision. So a common enemy is on the negative side. It has to be on the other side. A common vision or, or goal is something that's on our side. We share it on our side. But I want to talk about the opposite for that. And, and really the opposite for that is just take out the word common. And this is when we become we become enemies. You and I are not on the same side anymore. You are my enemy. And you know when that happens? It will happen. And I talked a lot about that when we have personality incompatibility. But in this circumstantial situational component of symmetry, this happens when we have internal competition. So imagine this. You and I are working on a team and uh, we have a goal, we, we need to reach a certain objective. However, one of us, as a result of our performance, is going to be promoted or is going to get a bonus. So our manager is going to, at the end of this project, is going to look at both of us, or, or maybe there are more than the two of us, and look at our relative performance and will grant the top performer a promotion, a bonus, a compensation increase, a pay increase, or something like that. Are we on the same side? Doing something like this. So if you're a leader and you're listening to me right now, don't do that. When you build internal competition into your team, you reduce the level of trust within that team. So always analyze, are we competing for anything in this context of, of this project. It, it can probably apply to competing on things outside of this project because, you know, it, it's a little hard for me to trust you in one context and not trust you in another. It, it can spill over. Are we in competition? Are we on opposite sides? And this really is what symmetry is about. Are we on the same side or are we on opposite sides? I'm going to dig a little deeper into symmetry and reciprocity, and specifically in the give and take or give, contribute and, and take or get uh, things. So uh, one day I remember I, I was inspired by an experiment, which I'll tell you about in a minute, and uh, teaching a class of MBA students, I asked them to fill a form. It was an online form. 
and write, see, I need to give you some background. I give them projects and I have teams that on average have four members, three or four members, but in that class, it was on average four members. And I asked them a simple question. At the end of this project, what was the percentage of your own contribution to the overall success of the team or to the overall project, the deliverable? What would you expect the average of those would be if the average team size is four? 25%, right? And if we add up the four, and I didn't ask any person to tell me what do you think the contribution of the others was. I just asked about you. What was your contribution to the overall team project? And you would think that the average would be 25%. And if you combine them, the average is going to be 100%, right? The total, the average total of all four members of the team. Well, the average total of all four members of the team was 139%. What does that mean? It means that we believe that we contribute more than we actually get. By the way, the, the research I was referring to was done by Juliana Schroeder from UC Berkeley. Uh, she wrote articles and uh, I, I'm not even sure. I, I think she may have even given a TED talk on overclaiming, on the fact that we overclaim. And she used MBA students and actually the number that she reached in her research was 140%, very close to the number that I found, even though I had a much uh, smaller uh, sample. And, and she explains it, and I'm not going to go into that, but I just wanted to make sure that you understand that the level of contribution is important or the symmetry of the contribution, what I contribute versus what you contribute is important. Now, the things that, that we contribute could be time, for example. So imagine you and I are working on a project and uh, I show up to work uh, or let's say you show up to work at 6 a.m. every day. You finish at 10 p.m. Remember, we have this shared enemy, this budget, not, not, not even a budget, a schedule. We have a very tight schedule and you and I are on the same side. That schedule is the enemy. And you show up to work every day at 6 a.m. and you leave not before 10 p.m., you get home and you crash. You immediately crash to bed. Uh, you work on weekends, but I show up at 9 a.m. I leave at 5 p.m. I don't want to talk to you after 5 p.m. I don't want to talk to anybody. I, I have my hobbies. I have my family. Definitely not on weekends. What do you feel? Do you trust me? See, we are on the same side from this common enemy, but we are not symmetrical in our contribution of time. Could be contribution of money if you and I are starting a business. Could, could be contribution of energy, of passion, the priority that we give to different things. You know, you give higher priority to something, I give lower priority. That is a lack of symmetry. To understand the correlation between the differences, the asymmetry of contribution and trust, I conducted a study and in that study I was gauging the level of trust and I was gauging the level, this, this level of gap. And what I found was that people ranked the level of contribution that they are making compared to the other person. So really the question was, uh, who contributes more to the overall team or project success? Uh, is it is similar, the same? You by a little, you, you by a lot, 
and the opposite the the other person uh, by little the other person in general uh, the other person by a lot and what i found was that in low trust organizations that gap was 10 times bigger than in high trust organizations so there is a very strong correlation between the gap or the fact that i believe that i contribute more than you do to the level of trust one thing that i found was that if you contribute more than me then I am not going to trust you less. I'm actually not going to significantly even trust you more. It's really, it really starts when I believe that I contribute more than you do. The other side of it is how much I believe that you are taking or getting compared to how much do I get or, or do I take? And, and what is it that we're taking or getting? It, it can be compensated, uh, compensation. One of us is uh, compensated more than the other, and therefore the other is going to uh, you know, be uh, feel that it's an asymmetrical relationship and trust less. It could be resources. One of us is having better access to resources. I can get whatever I want. You can. Uh, it could be management mindshare. It's the willingness of our management to listen to me versus their willingness to listen to you. Could even be an office size uh, issue. I have a bigger office. You have a smaller office. If you ever watch the TV show Friends, uh, there is a chapter where Chandler, who worked in a company with a group of employees, became he was promoted and he became their boss. And ever since he became their boss, they kind of separated away from him. And, and when you separate away from someone, you, you trust them less uh, for, for many reasons. Some of them I'll describe in the future in future episodes. And Phoebe was explaining it to him in that you're no longer, it, it's not that they don't like you, but you're no longer their friend. You're no longer at the same hierarchical level. You are Mr. Boss Man. You're the boss. And, and therefore, uh, there is a lower level of trust. Uh, in someone who's not at the same hierarchical level as you are. And, and it's actually, it's not an issue of them being lower than you as it is an issue of them being higher than you. You're going to separate from them. Uh, you're going to be more careful in what you say. You're going to be less vulnerable. And yes, all of those contribute to, to having a lower level of trust. And once again, when I correlated that in a study, what I found was that in a low trust environment, that gap is 3.8 times bigger, 3.8 times bigger. And because of that, you have that low trust. In high trust environment, that gap is 3.8 times smaller. And this is why you have a higher level of trust. So if I combine these two, what I found was that the gaps combined what I believe I contribute, I believe that I contribute more than you do, and I believe that you're getting more than, than I do. If I combine those gaps, those gaps in low trust environments are 7.2 times bigger than in a high trust environment, or put it the other way around, in a high trust environment, those gaps are beliefs that I'm getting more than you and that uh, I'm contributing more than you. Those gaps are 3.8 times are are 7.2 times smaller overall. When I looked at the correlation between the level of trust and giving and taking, what I found was a 32% correlation. So trust decreases 32% if we believe that we are getting less and contributing more than the other person. 
A subpart of symmetry is reciprocity. And Robert Cialdini, in his books on influence and persuasion, wrote a lot about that. And, and he wrote about a, an experiment uh, that was published in 1968 by Reagan, uh, R-E-G-A-N. Uh, the, the article was called The Effects of a Favor and Liking on Compliance. It was a very interesting experiment. I'll, I'll tell you a bit about it. Uh, I wrote more about it in the Book of Trust. And the experiment was that there were two evaluators, uh, volunteer evaluators. One of them, by the way, did not know that he was actually the test subject and that the other one was actually uh, an actor uh, playing a role. And they were supposed to evaluate, uh, I believe it was art, uh, and uh, rank it on, on different components. And they were working and working and working. And at some point, they took a break. During that break, two things have happened. And he tried that uh, in, in four different combinations. Two things have happened. The actor would take a phone call in a way that the other person, the, the test subject, could actually hear that conversation. And when he took that call, he was either rude to the person on the other side of the call, and I'm not sure if there was really another person on the other side of the call, and you can imagine it wasn't a cell phone because, well, cell phones did not exist in 1968, so it was a really uh, landline phone. So the other person would... Uh, the, the actor would either speak rudely or pleasantly to the person, to the fictitious person on the other side of the line. So that's one thing that happened. The second thing is, at some point during one of the breaks, the actor would go out and come back with two cans of soda and would offer one can to the other person. In some cases, would offer another can. In other cases, would just come back with, with one can. Just free, not asking for money, just saying, hey, I went to the vending machine, came back with two cans of Coke. Here's one for you. Uh, you need a Coke, too, or, or a soda. At the end of, the, uh, of this uh, fictitious evaluation period, when, when they were done, the actor would tell the test subject, who thought was a volunteer in, in an, ex well, not in an experiment, in doing some work, would tell them that his son was in Boy Scouts and uh, was doing some kind of a, uh, pro uh, I, I don't know, a fundraiser, and uh, there was a raffle, and would he be willing to support his son, and I don't know what they were winning, a Corvette or something, um, but buy tickets. And obviously, you know, the, the probability of you actually winning is very low. So the question is, how big of an impact was how the actor talked on the phone in a rude or a pleasant way was on the willingness of the test subject to buy raffle tickets? The second component was how impactful was that the fact that the, the actor gave the test subject a free can of Coke, just, I thought about you, I brought you a can of Coke, or didn't do that, on the willingness of the test subject to be willing to buy raffle tickets. Here's what they found. When we started with no favor, there was no favor, I didn't give you a can of Coke. If I was pleasant, we'll take this as a starting point, 
then uh, th this would would be a 100%. This, this would be a one. If I was pleasant on the phone uh, and I didn't give you a can of Coke, the probability normalized that you're going to buy raffle tickets or how many raffle tickets you're going to buy was a one. If I was unpleasant on the phone and didn't give you a can of Coke, it would be 80%. So 20% less. I'm 20% less probable to give you or or I'm going to give you or buy 20% less raffle tickets. Well, if I gave you a can of Coke or, or a can of soda and I was pleasant on the phone, I went from the probability or the number of tickets that you would buy from me went from 100% from one to 191%. That's an increase of 91%. You are 91%. You're going to buy 91% more raffle tickets if I offered you a can of Coke. That's the principle of reciprocity. By the way, here's the interesting thing. If I start, my starting point is the can of, is uh, I did not give you a can of Coke, but I was pleasant on the phone. If I gave you a can of Coke and was unpleasant, was rude on the phone, you're still going to buy 60% more raffle tickets than when I was pleasant on the phone, but didn't give you a can of Coke. So obviously the can of Coke has the biggest impact. And uh, by the way, when, when I was unpleasant, when I was rude on the phone, we went from 80% to 160%. So that's uh, pretty much doubling. Uh, so it's somewhere between 91% to 100% higher willingness to buy raffle tickets or a higher number of raffle tickets based simply on reciprocity, on the fact that I gave you something. So reciprocity is another important component for trustworthiness. So, and, and, and specifically a subcomponent of symmetry, which is one of the three components of who you are. I'm running out of time. I'm looking at the watch. I'm already past the 30 minute mark. So I'm going to talk about the other parts, the other subcomponents of uh, symmetry in the next episode. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll make sure to answer it or find the answer to it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. That's Y-O-R-A-M at thetrustshow.com. If you like this podcast episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get new episodes. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings would help others who are looking for a podcast just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, Look up my online course at trustedatwork.com. Find my books on Amazon or go to my website, yoramsolomon.com. And remember one thing, the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening.